Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Well, good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? All right. Hey, my name is Ryan, and I'm the student pastor here at Believer's Church, and you picked a great morning to join us because we are continuing our series, Don't Feed the Wildlife, and I just have to say personally for me, this has been an incredible series, actually a life-changing series. In fact, last week's message on shame, it totally rocked my world in all the right ways, and so I want to encourage you, if you haven't been able to catch all of the messages in this series, just head to Believers.cc and check them out, and man, I promise they're going to be amazing for you, but today I'm really excited to talk about something that I think all of us, no matter who we are, are going to face in this life, and if we feed this aspect of wildlife, it can devour us. You know, uh, about a month ago, my girlfriend and I actually proposed to my girlfriend, and so we got engaged. Yeah, thank you. Some of you guys are like, it was about time, and I'm, you know, it was. But, you know, we're, we're really excited about it. It's something that we've, uh, we're just ready to take the next step. And, you know, one of the things that happens is as you're about to get married, you start thinking about how life is going to be different after you're married. And some of you are like, you have no idea. <laughs> and you're right, I have no idea. But, you know, one of the things that I've started to think about is my life is no longer just going to be about me. In fact, I'm going to be looking out for two people now. And as a guy, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just you watch enough action movies as a kid, but you have this thing inside of you that makes you want to be the protective figure in the relationship. It makes you want to be the one that kind of, you know, no matter what happens, it's like, you know, I got this, I got it covered. Um, And I can tell you I'm going to need to grow in this area just a little bit. And this became apparent a couple months ago um, when Kristen and I were taking a walk in her parents' neighborhood. And it was just a beautiful summer night. And as we're about to finish up our walk, all of a sudden I hear Kristen say, oh my gosh. And I look over and there's a full-size German shepherd charging at us. And it's not barking. It's not, you know, enjoying the scenery. It is charging. And uh, just pause real quick because these are the moments in life you don't plan for. And these are the ones you kind of hope you're going to react in certain ways, but you're not really sure. (laughs) And so we get there, and I'm seeing this dog charge at us. And instead of being the heroic guy who just stood in front of his girl, I kind of pushed her off to the side, and I see this dog coming at me, and I'm like, all right, what do I do? And through your head, in this situation, you're like, your mind is racing. You're like, how am I going to keep this dog from destroying me and killing me? And, And so the first thought I had was, maybe I'll kick it, you know. And so I was thinking... I could kick this thing, but if I do, I'm going to leave myself vulnerable because in skinny jeans and I'm just not that flexible, I'm not going to get it that high. So, you know, the dog could jump over that. So my next thought was brilliant, not quite. And my next thought was, okay, I'm going to backhand slap this dog. (laughs) Terrible idea. So I start going like this in the middle of this street as if a backhand slap is going to deter this full-size German shepherd. And then something took place that I didn't anticipate, and I don't know really where it came from, but I started to make this noise. Um, It was kind of this deep, guttural, ape-sounding noise. It was kind of a, hoo, hoo, hoo. (laughs) And to this day, I don't know where it came from. I know as a kid, we used to listen to the song, like, Who Let the Dogs Out? And I would go, hoo, hoo, hoo. Maybe that's what it was, but I'm not exactly sure. So I'm in the middle of the road just going, hoo, hoo. You know, and uh, thankfully at the last second, the owner of this dog calls the dog back and I was saved from incredible pain because that dog was not deterred by any of my efforts. 
But you know how it is whenever you have your most embarrassing moments, there's always a ton of people there to watch, right? Everybody knows that. That's a rule. And so, of course, across the street on the front patio, there's an entire group of people having a cookout. I mean, at least 15, 20 people. I don't know what they were doing. And one of them looked at me and was like, did that dog attack you? And I was like, yes. Yes, the dog attacked me. Today, we're going to be talking about the idea of don't feed the fear. Don't feed the fear. Because what I found in that situation, and anytime we're faced in fear, oftentimes we do things we don't expect to do. And when we are troubled with fear, it can get us acting out in ways we never thought we'd act out, or it can have us, you know, being imprisoned in ways we never thought we'd be imprisoned. And I can say that fear is something that all of us are going to have to tackle in this life. Regardless, regardless of your personality, maybe you're more of a bold personality, or maybe you're more shy. Maybe you're more of a risk taker or maybe you're more cautious. Maybe you're young, old, or Christian or not Christian. It doesn't matter. No matter who we are, we're all going to have to face fear at some point in our life. And you know, for some of us, this takes different shapes and forms. You know, maybe you're someone that says, hey, I want to be this parent, but I'm afraid to be the parent that God said I could be. Maybe I'm afraid that I can raise a functional human being. And maybe I'm afraid that I can protect them from the harms of this world and help them to be who they're supposed to be. Some of us, we might have financial fears where, yeah, we hear that God's supposed to provide our needs, but at the end of the day, we look at our checkbook and we're like, this is not exactly what I thought. You know, we look at what's going on financially and we're afraid, just quite honestly. You know, some of us, we're afraid to be vulnerable with other people. We're worried about if someone saw the real me, they would never accept me because I've got so many flaws. I've got so many things. I've got so many things in my past or in my current life that if they saw the real me, they would never love me. Some of us, God has placed a desire in our heart to do something. Maybe it's to take the next step with him. Maybe that's to get baptized or maybe that's to serve or maybe that's to, to invite a coworker. But we're held back by fear because we're worried about what could happen. And maybe, honestly, if you're sitting here today, maybe something that you might be afraid of is you've had this desire to come into a relationship with Jesus. You're, you're kind of okay with the idea of Jesus, but the thing that's held you back from going all in is this fear of what could happen if you give Jesus control of your life. You know, fear shows up in so many different ways. And here's the crazy thing about fear, and it's kind of the thing that allows fear to stick around, is that there's always a reason to be afraid. You know, there's always a level of legitimacy to why we are afraid of what we're afraid of. But the problem with fear is that we will never be who God has purposed us to be, and we will never do what God has purposed us to do if we feed the fear in our lives. We will never be who God has purposed us to be or do what God has purposed us to do if we feed the fear in our lives. And so today, I hope to be able to give us perspective on this, and it's actually incredible that I'm even up here talking about this, because in my life, I've dealt with fear in really severe ways sometimes. And some of them were over silly things, and some of them were over more serious things, but I remember even back to when I used to play sports, and, you know, as a kid, I got a chance to play baseball, and uh, even through my childhood and up into college, and I actually remember times that instead of enjoying the game I loved to play, I would actually feel physiologically burdened by fear. I would be out there on the field and I would feel like I had 25 pound weights on me and I couldn't move to the level of freedom I was supposed to move. And God had to do something for years to actually remove that fear in my life. When it came to the calling of God on my life to be the ministry and to be a leader, 
I ran for that for so long because I was afraid of the responsibility. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of what could happen if I took a step and things just totally crashed. And if it was my fault. And now I wake up every morning so passionately about what I do and I think, why did I ever let fear stop me? And I believe the key to understanding how to overcome fear in our life, it starts with perspective. In fact, I would say it this way, that perspective always precedes courage. If we're moving toward courage in our life, if we're moving toward being uh, people who are fearless, that we need to get a different perspective on the things we're facing, or else we'll always be tempted to be afraid. And so in order to gain this perspective on how to be fearless, I thought we could look at something that happened 2,800 years ago, halfway around the world, but I believe what happened in this distant land, in this distant time, can actually speak to us today and show us how to overcome fear. And so today we're going to look at a figure in the Bible named Elisha. Elisha lived somewhere between 800 to 900 B.C., and Elisha was known for doing miraculous things. In fact, everywhere he went, he was known as a prophet and did signs and wonders. And God really moved through Elisha. And so he was known nationally. And what we're going to look at today is a story of one of the neighboring countries called the Aramaeans. They were always attacking the Israelites. And every time they would go to attack somewhere in Israel, God would actually tell Elisha in advance where they were going to attack. And I call this the mom gifting because any kid knows that whenever you're about to do something bad, mom already knows what you're going to do before you do it. And I think Elisha might have had a little bit of that mom gifting in her, or in him. And so um, Elisha has this prophetic gift where he just can read this guy's mail. And so the king of Aram is starting to get really frustrated because everywhere he goes, the Israelites are there and they're there in numbers. And so he starts to think, maybe I have a traitor in my midst. Maybe there's someone in my own camp who's giving information to the enemy, and these guys are fearing for their lives because, you know, they're all afraid of what the king could do. And so they say, hey, hold on, this is not us, this is Elisha. Elisha is this prophet in Israel, and he's telling the king everything you're thinking, not even saying, but thinking. And so this king says, all right, where's Elisha? And that's where we're going to pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to put it up on the screen as well. But we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 13. This is what it says. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. That is not your average morning. <laughs> you're, no, you're normally going outside, you know, maybe drawing some water from the well. And that day you look up and there's a lot of trained troops out there with their horses and chariots. And so this servant does what probably all of us would do. He panics. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Fair question, right? We have hundreds, if not thousands of people surrounding us and they're after us. What will we do now is a pretty fair question. But I find Elisha's response so inspiring and yet a little bit curious because Elisha says something that just doesn't seem to line up with what's going on in this situation. This is what Elisha says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So you're telling me that there's hundreds, if not thousands, of trained soldiers that are surrounding us, and they're here for our heads. And you're saying, don't be afraid. How can you say that? 
How is that even a possibility? I believe Elisha understood something that if we can grasp today, sitting here in these chairs, that it can change our lives the same way it changed Elisha and his servants' lives. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. It's interesting that Elisha didn't negate the fact that the Aramean army was there, but Elisha simply saw a greater army that was there. And the servant of Elisha was struck with fear because he didn't see the full picture. And I believe what they understood that if we can get our minds around today can help us is that fear is faith misplaced. Simply put, fear is faith misplaced. See, the servant had more faith in the army he could see than the one he couldn't see. But the one he couldn't see was undefeated. And they were riding horses and chariots of fire. And when we choose to fear in our lives, when we're talking about being afraid, we are putting more trust in our circumstance or in our opposition or in our obstacle than we are in the God who has overcome it all. Fear is faith misplaced. And I believe what we need to do in order to change the way we look at our life is to change our perspective. Elisha prayed that he would open his eyes. And I think some of us need to open our eyes to the reality of the situation according to God's perspective. And I think, man, how do we do this? How do we gain God's perspective on our situation? Because all we can usually see is what's right in front of us. And here at Believer's Church, this is one of the things that we're so passionate about is getting into the Word of God. Through weekend experiences, through hearing Pastor Joe preach or whoever is up here on a weekend or getting into personal daily Bible reading plans on your YouVersion Bible app or getting involved some way in a daily prayer, developing these disciplines in our lives. These are not just things that we put on a spiritual checklist to say, hey, I marked that off, I'm a better person today. No, these are things that help us gain a new perspective. They're things that help us to see the battle the way it was designed to be seen, the way God sees it. And this is why it's crucial for us to do this. But I find something really interesting about this situation. That Elisha's servant could have never seen the greater army that was on his side unless Elisha was in his life. You realize that? That if the servant was just there by himself, he would have never seen the actual situation that was going on. See, we need people in our lives who are there to show us a different perspective. We need people in our lives who are going to actually challenge us to see things the way God sees them. And can I just say this? Here at Believer's Church, this is why connect groups are not just a cute program for us. They're not just something we do to fill the time. They are the lifeblood of this church because we believe that God can change the world through people who believe in each other, who believe in the God that is calling all of us. And man, we need people in our life who are going to encourage us or literally put courage inside of us. And if our friends are always the type that are just pointing out our opposition or our obstacles or the circumstances, then those are the friends that are going to discourage us. We need people that will show us God's perspective and encourage us. 
We can't do this on our own. It can't just be me and God. It has to be me and God and God and other people. It has to be this whole process that allows us to see things God's way. But let me just warn you that even if you change your perspective, even if you look at life differently, even if you see it the way God sees it, that you still may have to go out and win the battle. You know, what's interesting is that when Elisha prayed for his servant's eyes to be opened, the very next verse says that the Aramean army started to advance on them. Isn't it interesting that you could have God's perspective, but it doesn't make your problems go away? You know, God didn't give us perspective just so the problems would disappear. He gave us perspective to equip us to win the battle. And when we face fear in our life, that's normal. We're going to face fear because there's something at stake with everything we're doing. But I believe that God is calling us to conquer that fear through courage as he equips us with his perspective. This is why, man, it's just not going to go away. We have to go out and win that battle. You know, I was watching a documentary recently on Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. It was called Chasing Tyson. And these were two boxers that were very prominent in the late 80s and early 90s and throughout the 90s. And this documentary talked about this build-up to this fight that was going to take place in 1996 where Tyson and Holyfield were going to fight each other for the heavyweight championship of the world. Now, Tyson, you'd probably be familiar with, but Tyson was the champ, and he was every bit of a bully. I mean, he was a vicious fighter. He was the type of guy that they didn't ask the question, will he win the fight? He was the type of guy they were asking the question, what round is he going to win the fight? He was the type of guy that 30 seconds or less, man, he would take his opponents out. I mean, he's, he's knocking out boxers, professional boxers, who spend their entire life fighting in 30 seconds. He was a bad dude. And then you have Holyfield, who's coming in as kind of the underdog, but he was a champion himself at one point, and he's coming in to fight Tyson, and people are asking the same questions of him. I wonder what round Holyfield will get knocked out in. And, you know, so Holyfield, as he's leading up to this fight, he has a decision to make. How am I going to approach this champion? How am I going to approach this bully? You know, there was guys before who took the approach of kind of keeping their distance from Tyson. They would kind of back up. They would kind of retreat. And Tyson would eat him up because he would just advance on them. And he, he would keep them right in the range of his punches. He would knock them out quick. And then there was the guys that were brave, but they were just stupid. And, and these are the guys that would charge at Tyson. The minute the bell started, they would just go charging at him. And Tyson was like, okay, thank you. Bam, they're done. Holyfield took a different approach. And so when the fight started, Holyfield had this idea that I'm going to systematically work my way into Tyson. I'm going to get close to Tyson. And let me tell you, this was a dangerous thing to do, to get close enough to Tyson to where his punches would go past him. Because you're, you're talking about one of the hardest hitting guys who's ever lived. And in the first round, Tyson actually nailed Holyfield with a body shot. And man, he, he lit him up. But Holyfield didn't back down from the plan. Holyfield stayed in there. He stayed close enough to Tyson to where he could work his plan and hit Tyson in the body. And throughout the 11 rounds that the, la the fight lasted, Tyson, he was overpowered by Holyfield. He was overmatched. He was outboxed. And Holyfield ended up winning the fight, and it was an incredible upset story. And here's what's so cool about that, and I think it relates to us, is that there's something so amazing about someone who's not afraid of the bully. There's something so powerful about someone who says, I'm not going to back down even with my opposition staring me down. 
Did you realize that as a follower of Christ, that this is the heritage you have? I want to read to you from Hebrews 10.39 because I think it's just so powerful. It says this, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Your spiritual lineage as a Christian is believers, men and women, who when faced with opposition, who when faced with persecution, or any type of thing that could come against them, and some of them even death, so many times they would, time and time again, they would stand up against the opposition. They would courageously live what God had called them to do. This is our destiny as believers, as followers of Christ, and it all started with Jesus. Think about Jesus' story. He was in the garden, and he knew what was ahead of him. He knew he was going to go incredible torture physically and emotionally and spiritually. He was going to be separated from God so he could take all of our sins upon himself. And when he was presented with the option to run, Jesus stared death in the the face and moved forward. He took his step courageously. This is our Savior. And what I love about this is that Jesus did it with us in mind. Jesus did it with people in mind. And I wonder who is on the other side of you living courageously. I wonder who is on the other side of you no longer being imprisoned by fear. What if your kids had a parent who was not afraid of everything that could happen to them, but was willing to take a step and live and lead by faith? What if you as a coworker, were able to view your place as a mission field and say, I'm not going to let fear hold me back from being the light of Christ to everyone I know. Man, what if you were to step out and be obedient to Christ and and to take that risk and be vulnerable with someone so that they could really see who you are and help you take a step toward healing? I believe that on the other side of our courage, there are people that are waiting on us. And so I ask you, who is on the other side of a life lived courageously? Who is on the other side for you? Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you today that sitting in this room, that you have ordained calling and purpose for each and every person here. That, Lord, no matter what obstacles they are facing, no matter what things have come their way, that today is a day that they can be set free from fear. I pray today that you would redirect our faith from our obstacles and our opposition and our circumstances and redirect it to you. Because, God, you are undefeated. You are God that contains all power, all knowledge. You know how to handle every situation we'll face. You know how to help us parent the best we can parent. You know how to help us lead in our jobs the best way we can. You know how to help us handle our finances. I thank you that God today you are working in us to make us fearless for the glory of your name. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, I just want to offer an invitation to anyone who maybe you have been experiencing fear in the terms of your relationship with God. Maybe you really do genuinely like God. You have this reverence for God, but the thing that's held you back has been this fear of what would happen if you gave Jesus your life. Man, what would happen if if you gave Jesus control? And here is what I love is that the Bible actually says that perfect love casts out fear. That those fears you have, the moment you experience Jesus' true love for you, 
that's the moment you'll realize that those fears, they were keeping you from your destiny. They were keeping you from your purpose. And today I'd love to offer you this invitation that Jesus, that Jesus offers to all of us. And that is to take our mistakes, to take our sins upon himself, and instead to give us new life, to make us a new creation. For all of eternity that we could spend with him in heaven. And if that's you, if you're ready to come into a relationship with Jesus today, here's what Jesus said is necessary for that to happen. Number one, repent for your sins. The word repent simply means whatever way you're going to turn 180 and go the other direction. To, to turn from your sin. To ask for forgiveness. The second thing is simple. It's to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Jesus said, if you lay down your life, I'll give you true life. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so if you're ready to do that, then we're going to pray a prayer that so many in this room have already prayed before. And everyone's going to be repeating it after me. But I want to encourage you to say these words and to mean them from your heart. And the Bible actually says that you'll become a new person. Church, would you help me pray? Say this. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, so I could live with you. Today, I repent and I ask for forgiveness. Make me a new person. I make a decision, a commitment to follow you. With no one looking around, what's amazing is that the Bible actually says, in fact, Jesus said that when you come into new life with Christ, that you are actually born again. It's like being born into God's family. And just how we celebrate every time a new member of our family is born. So God celebrates when one new person is born again. In fact, Jesus said that all of heaven actually goes into celebration if even one person is brought home. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.